Thanks, Jenny. We're going to start in Galatians 5, uh, verses 13 to 14, where it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh yourself. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, I know we... I'm actually just going to kind of start building on the teaching that I did locally two weeks ago and then for everybody last week. And I promise I'm not just going to do the exact same teaching for the third time. Um, we're, we're going to build on it. But just wanted to sort of lay the foundation out of that. So I talked about this idea that Jesus comes to set us free from fear. And the fear that drives us. The fears of not having enough and the fear of not being enough. These are sort of the two fundamental motivational fears that we have, the fear that we won't have enough and the fear that we aren't enough. And that's, and, and Jesus, of course, speaks to those fears. He, Jesus promises that actually, in fact, uh, if we trust in him, that there will be enough. He talks often about a new kingdom in which the kingdom places that if we trust Jesus, we're not going to have to worry about where we're going to eat or what we're going to wear, but that we can simply trust that it will be provided for us. And Jesus also talks about how that we are given a new identity as children of God, an identity that we don't have to earn, that we don't have to, um, that we don't have to prove our worth, that we don't have to, to work our way, and that if we stop working, we're going to suddenly become less valuable. And Jesus says, that is just your identity. That is who you are. And so Jesus says, if you trust in me, you don't have to worry that you're not going to have enough, and you don't have to worry that you're not going to be enough. And so... I landed that teaching with the simple mantra that I'm going to invite you to, we're just, we're just going to pray together for a moment to start. And the mantra was very simple. All it says is, in Jesus, there is enough. In Jesus, I am enough. And so I'm just going to invite, we're going to say that a few times together. I'm going to invite you to repeat, say it with me. Um, so if you want to put your palms open, we're going to say, in Jesus, there is enough. And then we put our palms up like this, and we say, in Jesus, I am enough. In Jesus, there is enough. In Jesus, I am enough. In Jesus, there is enough. In Jesus, I am enough. I think that's just, I've actually been praying that myself over the last few weeks, so I think it's just such a, for me, it's just such a grounding thing to do, to be reminded that in Jesus, there is enough, and in Jesus, I am enough. And so I think for some of us, what we need to take away from that, right, is this idea that we can take a break, that we can rest, that we can trust Jesus, that we are enough and that there is enough, and that we are, allow we are allowed to rest. We need to learn how to practice rhythms of stillness and silence and taking days off and not feeling like our value is tied to what we produce, that we don't have to do anything in order to deserve being loved by God or by others. But, and, and that's really important to do that work of, of all of our identity has to come from that place of in Jesus there is enough and in Jesus I am enough. In our belovedness as children, our identity as children of God. Because 
Any, if, 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 if we do anything outside of that, then it's just actually, we're just doing it out of a motivation of fear. So we can do, I know this is true in my own life, we can do really good things. We can give away our money, we can volunteer, we can um, make sandwiches for the homeless, we can do all sorts of things. But if our motivation to do that is, well, if I don't do that, I, I have to do that in order to be a good person. I have to do that in order to prove my value. Then our motivation actually is poor and we end up in, um, and it's not actually living in the place that Jesus wants us to live. And I think many of us do many of the good things that we do out of a, out of a motivation of fear, a sense of obligation, a sense of like, well, if I don't, what does that mean about me? And so we do need to learn to rest in this identity of that we are God's children, that we have enough and that we are enough. And we need to just practice just being still and being like, no, I don't have to produce anything in order to be loved. However, that's not the end of the story. It's a really valuable, important part, but it's not the end of the story. What I've been thinking about a lot is this idea, right, that when Jesus says that in his kingdom that there will be enough and that you are enough, that when you start trusting in Jesus, Jesus doesn't start putting money in your bank account. Jesus doesn't start paying your bills for you or making sure you have enough food. Jesus doesn't start suddenly... Um, making sure that you have more time. Jesus, I, I mean, maybe occasionally there's a banking miracle where suddenly there's just more money in your bank account and like, you're like, I don't know where that came from. But, I, but usually the bank circles back on that and is like, by the way, if you spent that, we, we, we'd like that back. It's like the government was Serb, right? Like they circle back after a while and they're like, I don't know if you were supposed to get that much. Um... So I've been thinking about how, do you, how, how did Jesus envision that this was supposed to work? When Jesus says that there will be enough, when you don't have to worry, that Jesus said, in my kingdom, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or any of these things that we all spend so much time worrying about. All these things about, well, will I have enough? What, what was Jesus getting at? And you realize, of course, that Jesus' primary commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. That the ethic of Jesus' kingdom is to love your neighbor as yourself, which means that Okay. Whatever I say next, I'm gonna be really careful about this. Um, which means that we take care of each other. If I love my neighbor as myself then that means that I'm going to make sure that my neighbor has enough. And my neighbor is also, in return, going to make sure that I have enough. And as a community, we are going to take care of one another. We are going... This, this, is, the, this is the way of Jesus, that as people follow in Jesus' way, they will care for one another to make sure that the experience that everyone has in the community is that everyone has enough. This is, this is if you think back to the, the Old Testament, if you, if you know the story of the Israelites, right? Jesus... Uh, God gives the Israelites all these commands about how they're supposed to live. 
And so many of these commands are actually related to making sure that everybody in the community is cared for and has enough. There's, of course, the obvious commands in the Ten Commandments about not, like, wanting what other people have, being satisfied with what you have, not stealing, not taking what belongs to somebody else so that you can have more. But there's also these, these instructions about, hey, when you grow crops, don't harvest all the way to the edge of your field, but, but, but leave some of your crops behind so that those who have less can come and make sure that they have food. There's the ethic in the Old Testament of giving up a portion of, of, of your first harvest, of, of giving it to the temple, so that, which served in a way as provision for the community to make sure that everybody had enough. There was instructions, radical instructions, about living out a year of Jubilee in which, at that point, anybody who had accumulated any debt would be forgiven all of their debt and all of the land and, and, and resources that um, you had um, accumulated over time would go back to the, rightful, to the original families and the original owners so that there was no disparity. The idea is that in this community, that in, in the Old Testament community, right, that everybody would take care of one another. The, 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 if, you, if, we fo- if the community followed all of the laws, everyone in the community would be taken care of. Jesus comes and he says, okay, the law is good, but I'm actually, but it's also really complex. So you're like, you know, like, what's, a, like, what's the edge of my field? What's a tenth? Like, what's the first? Like, there's all these, like, when you get into, like, the legalese, like, what's the fine print about these rules? And Jesus says, okay, like, don't worry about the fine print of the rules. Jesus says, we'll just give you one rule. The rule is love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus moves, away, moves us away from this rules-based ethic to just this way of life ethic, to love your neighbor as yourself. And when, and when Jesus was asked, who is your neighbor, he told a whole story and basically was like, well, whoever is around you who needs help is your neighbor. You need to reach out. You need to take care of them. And what's interesting, of course, is that when Jesus teaches this, this idea that if you're going to follow his way, everybody in the community is going to have enough then his earliest followers took this quite seriously. We read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. We're, we're going to read, here we're reading about the very earliest Jesus followers, about the, early, the earliest versions of what we would call church. And what did they do? It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and sights performed by the apostles. Now notice there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they, the community has devoted themselves to these practices, these rhythms of rest, of taking a break, of prayer, of gathering together, of I can pause and I can be enough. So they're doing that. Then it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Not like they had like every one of them had identical likes and interests and like, you know, they all wore matching outfits. No, they, had, they, they shared what they had. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's this real sort of sense of community in the early church, of having everything in common, this sort of open-handed, like, whatever I have that you need is yours, whatever you have that I need is mine. We're going we're gonna to 
share things communally. We're going to make sure that everyone, that nobody goes hungry, that nobody is, is struggling, that nobody here in the community doesn't have enough. And what's interesting, actually, is if you read um, historical research about the early church, you actually begin to understand that that's what was distinctive about the early church. And that is what was so attractive um, in those days to the early church. The people who were attracted to the early church were generally people in society who um, struggled to have enough. The widows, the marginalized, those who might be sick, those who were on the outside, who their society didn't care well for. But they found that in the early church, they found that, they, that there they were able to belong. They were able to have an identity. They, were, they weren't just like, oh, like an outcast in society, but widows were, were, were welcome and they had a place to belong, but also their needs were provided for by the community. And I think that's such a beautiful picture that, that this, is, this is what Jesus means when he says, like, you know, you don't, you don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to, and what you're going to wear. Your father will provide these things. How does the father provide? Not through magic, not through like a fairy godmother who comes and fills your pantry with all the things that you need, but through the work of the community, making sure, of, of other Jesus followers, making sure that everybody has what they need because they love their neighbors as themselves. And so I think about our little Meeting House Ottawa Church community here. And I love how much that idea, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. And in fact, I, I'm, what I'm saying back to you is the things that are actually the heartbeat of our Meeting House Ottawa community already. So about a year and a half ago, we did a survey of our leadership team and we said like, hey, like a couple of years from now, if people were talking about the Meeting House Ottawa, what would, what would we hope that they would say? And it was really interesting to hear people's feedback and we collected it and sort of, and sort of curated it. But, if I, but to, to summarize it, it was, we want to, we want to be a Jesus-centered community where everyone can belong, that helps us care for ourselves, helps us care for each other, and helps us care for others. So we want to be a Jesus-centered community where everyone can belong, that helps us care for ourselves, care for each other, and care for others. Which is exactly the sort of community that Jesus, of course, it's a, a Jesus-centered community. And so Jesus says, make sure that everybody has enough. So Jesus says, make sure that you know that you are enough. So that means like, helping us care for ourselves, helping us know I am loved and what are the practices that I can do that help me to, to know, to, 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 to rest in that love. But then also helping us care for each other, the people in the community, and then helping us care for those outside of the community who may be in need as well. And now these needs you could think of like, you know, okay, you know, there's financial, there's resources, there's also just the need, it's a real need that people need to know that they are loved and they are valued. And we need, to, we need to communicate that to each other, that we care about each other and that we value each other. And we need to communicate that with others as well. But I love that this is what our, our Ottawa community is centered on. So when Jesus said, so our, our, our community is centered on, what Jesus, on, on making Jesus' kingdom a reality, on, on living out in a, such a way that everyone in our community has enough and that the people around us have enough too. Now this is a big ask, it's a, it's a tall order, but it's what, our, it's what our heart as a community is, and I love that. 
And we see this happen in all sorts of really interesting ways. And so I just want to tell a couple stories about ways this is happening in our community, and then I'm going to invite us into a conversation together about ways that we can, um, about other ways that you have seen that happen in our community, or, or ways that you would hope that could happen in our community. So this idea of being a community that cares for others, um, we've, we've partnered, we, we have um, partnerships with organizations throughout our city that care for the needs of people that we may not interact with on a daily basis, but those organizations do. And we've, we say by partnering with them, we can do more than we could just do by ourselves because they're already doing the work. They're already, they're already on the ground. So for example, we partner with Restoring Hope, which is a shelter um, for uh, street-engaged youth in our city, downtown. And so we've been partnered with them for a long time and, and raised funds, and we have people in our community who volunteer there or who work there. Um, but when we moved into this space, and one of the reasons we moved into this space is we were like, oh, well, we could, not for the air conditioning. Um, we did not move in this space for the air conditioning. Um, we're thinking about that. But, um, but we did move in because we're like, hey, we can do really practical stuff to serve people out of this space in a way that you can't do in a movie theater. You can't make sandwiches for people in a movie theater. Um, the movie theater frowns on that if you try and make sandwiches in the movie theater. Um, health code violations, stuff like that, I don't know, it's weird. Um, but when we moved in this space, Dave Beauchamp said, hey, you know, I would love to organize making sandwiches for Restoring Hope on Sundays when we're together, before, before our services. I said, yeah, that'd be great. And Dave kind of, we kind of put it out there, and Dave reached out to a few people because we needed money to make that happen. And somebody was like, that's an awesome idea. Can I give $1,000 towards that? And we're like, amazing. That's a great starting fund. Um, and so basically for, for most of the year now, every Sunday um, before service, there's people in the kitchen who are making sandwiches. And Dave had organized that for Restoring Hope. A practical way to, a way to care for others and make sure that people who don't have enough have enough. And then my wife, Sarah, heard about it, and she was like, hey, I would love to, I would love to get involved in helping with that. And so she started, um, she and Dave started talking, and Dave's like, actually, I was thinking about, like, that's a little bit too much of my plate. I'd love to let that go. And so Sarah's like, I'd, I'd love to take that on. And so now Sarah started organizing that. And she, Sarah's been making meals for Restoring Hope for a while, and so it's interesting. Occasionally, she'll just post on her social media when she's making food for Restoring Hope or has something and say, hey... Um, you know, just doing this for, to support homeless teens in our city, and, you know, if anybody on my social media feed wants to help out, um, you, can, uh, you can make a donation financially or, you know, or um, do some groceries and I'll make the food and deliver it, etc. And it's been actually amazing to me how much um, pickup she's had on just these social media posts. Um, we moved houses last August, and the person who bought our house reached out to us and was like, hey, I saw your post about restoring hope. I would love to buy a bunch of stuff, and if you can deliver it for me, that'd be great. So we show up, and there's literally, like, he comes, like, wheeling out with, like, one of those, like, moving carts, like, stacked with, like, Costco boxes of stuff, and we're, like, loading in our van, and, like, the van sagging, we're like, this is really cool. Um, we've had people, we've had um, somebody who's, like, a, our daughter's track coach has been like, hey, I'd like to make a donation, and then you can make food and deliver it for me. And we're like, sure, yeah, we'd love to do that. Uh, past week, uh, a former neighbor of ours reached out to Sarah and was like, hey, I'd love to get my, my daughter a little bit more involved in like making a difference in the world. And so I was thinking, and, and she, her daughter's best friends with our daughter, and she's like, 
I was thinking that I could take the girls grocery shopping and they could menu plan and they could pick out everything that they need. And then uh, we'll take them to grocery shopping. And then I'll, <laughs> she's like, then I'll bring them to your place. And um, she's like, cause I don't cook. She's like, we'll bring them to your place and you can help them make all the meals and then deliver them. And so sure enough on Friday, my daughter and her daughter went with, went with Sherry and they went and they did hundreds of dollars worth of groceries. Although, I mean, these days it's not that hard to do hundreds of dollars worth of groceries, but like this is like olden times, hundred dollars worth of groceries. Um, and, and so they made five or six different meals that are going to deliver to Restoring Hope this week. But it's like, oh, it's amazing how, I, I just love it so much. I love that it's like, oh, people in our community, this partnership that we have, this heart that we have to, to care for others when other people outside of our, our church community hear about that, they're like, how can I get involved? That's so interesting. That's so, I would love to be a part of that. If that just means I just get, like, just, and like, Sarah works at a real estate office, and, and her coworkers say to her all the time, they're like, when do you have time for that? Like, 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 what, what, like how do you do that? And, and she's like, oh, cooking's easy. Like, she's like, I cook for five people all the time. Now I'm just cooking for 20. Like, it's just, like, it's not a big thing for her. That's her gift that she has, and it, it, but it rallies other people around that. And so when I think about it, I'm like, oh, I'm like, we need to lean. I just think there's so many possibilities there. And I think sometimes we can just be like, as a community, be like, oh, well, we really need to like really super duper organize something. And it's like, I just think about Sarah occasionally posting on social media, that like, hell, I'm making food for Restoring Hope. And the amount of like excitement and rallying people towards that that's happened for people outside of our community and go, wow, what is possible when we lean in to being the hands and feet of Jesus to make sure that others have enough and they know that they are enough? And what other things could we do? So when I, when, so when I think about this idea of how can we as a community care for ourselves, care for others, uh, care for each other, and, and, and caring for each other and others really just being, hey, making sure that they have enough and making sure that they know that they are enough. I think about something like home church. I think about home church as a space where it's like, oh, we gather together to make, yes, we talk about a book study or the teaching or the Bible, but really home church is about, at root to me, is about building relationships. It's about creating community and connection where we can experience, oh, I am enough because I, there are people who care about me. And in home church community, we also find out that we have enough. Um, somebody in my home church sent out an email a week or two ago, was like, hey, I'm moving. Would anybody be able to help? And a bunch of people raised their hands and we were able to move them in this week. And, and we were having a meal together afterwards and this person said, man, he's like, you have no idea how anxious this move made me. And you guys stepping up made it so easy for me. And I feel so much better now because of that. And it's just a simple thing, but something that was a huge anxiety for them, we were able to step in and be like, oh, no bother at all, and, and care for them. And so I think about home church. I think about the different ways that in our community we invite people to sort of volunteer and serve. Um, or it's like, there's a lot of weeks where it's like, I don't know if I want to volunteer and serve or whatever. But it's also, it's like, how, by volunteering and serving, it's like, oh, this is a way to make sure that everybody in our community has enough, that they're able to come and experience, they, they can hear Carl and Allison lead us in musical worship, and, and perhaps there's a moment of like, oh, he does love me. Oh, that, that's what I needed to hear today. 
And we think about all the things that go into that. We think about the sound and, and, and the, the kids' volunteers, and we think about the setup and all that, and we go like, oh, that feels like so much work. But if it's in that spirit of, oh, I can help somebody this week have that experience of knowing that they're enough because they can come and they can experience the love of Jesus. And that's life-changing. Oh, man, that's where, that feels like something I might want, I might want to wean into. That feels valuable. So I think about all these different spaces. And so really, I just, I'm not landing this teaching in any particular way, except that I want to turn it over to you guys. And I want you guys, I would invite you to, for a few minutes, just get into groups and just say, hey, how, how in this church community or how in your life have you had the experience of, find, of, of somebody else helping you have enough or feeling like enough, whether it was through home church or whatever or or just somebody at your work, just stories of how you've experienced enoughness. And then I would love for you to maybe engage in a little bit of creative conversation about like, hey, what are some ways that we as a community can care for others and each other? How can we make sure that the people in our community have enough and know that they're enough? And we're going to just do that for just a few minutes, and then I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to move on, and Jenny's going to close us with... Um, by moving us on to our afterwards activities. Um, but yeah, so I just invite you to turn in groups, talk, have uh, a few minutes of just talking about your experiences of like, hey, here's how somebody showed up and I had enough. And that was really cool. And what are some ways that we, what are some creative ways that we as a community could together make sure that people have enough? Also introduce yourself if you don't know each other. That would